Well, we are um, plodding through the book of Romans, and we really have only gotten started. And so we're going to uh, finish the first chapter, and hopefully somewhere down the end of this year, we'll come to chapter 16. And again, I have to make apologies, not to the Word of God, but to me, this is the first time that I have ever preached all the way through Romans. So it has been a learning lesson for me. However, back in my uh, Bible college days, uh, every senior had to write a thesis on the book of Romans. Fortunately, I threw mine away. After it was graded, I passed. But uh, I wish I could go back now and uh, see what I really wrote. But it was, uh, it has been a dear book to me and has been uh, a blessing in my life, a foundational book for my life as well as Katie's and our family's uh, life. And knowing our faith, and what a solid foundation we have in the Word of God. I know of no other book in the Bible that lays it out as a foundational place for us to stand as the church of Jesus Christ. If you have questions about the church and you have questions about the condition of the world. Romans has the answer for you. You have to dig for the gold. And I think, as is true in my own life, of I've been like a miner with an axe, with a pick, picking on the mountain of Romans, picking out gold. At least it is to me gold. It's precious. And so as you go home and study, may you find it also to be precious to you as precious stones, as something you can hang on to in your life. The book of Romans is weighty, yes. You'll get a little Dirty, yes. It'll be something that will stick in your mind and your heart. And God and the Holy Spirit will use that to establish you. Even if you're a new Christian. Well, they tell us never to send new Christians to the book of Romans. But I object to that uh, instruction. I think that that is where we can really understand what it is to be a foreigner and yet be in the grasp and the plan of God for us as the barbarians, as we say in Japanese, the gaijin. Every one of us are gaijin, foreigners. Do we use that word anymore here in Japan? 
Really? I don't hear it on the street anymore. <laughs> have, I, have I become a Japanese? <laughs> but it used to be the little kids when they'd see you coming down the street. Gaijin da. Gaijin da. Gaijin da. I don't see that anymore. <laughs> but my eyesight is getting bad. Anyway, this is a book that was written to a congregation exactly like ours. I don't think there were any Japanese there or Koreans or uh, Americans or Australians. Surely not Australians. <laughs> Sorry, Tanil. I had to do it. But God is brought us together from many nations here, as we already have experienced in introducing the new ones, even Jamaica. I mean, the Lord is bringing his people home. And I'm not meaning just to MCC, to this church, but to his church worldwide. We praise the Lord for that. Okay, let's get going, Ron. You're wasting time. The Gospel of God concerning Jesus Christ. And today we're going to look at a tough passage. The wrath of God is revealed. So let's get ready. Let's read. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and in their foolish heart they were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, 
God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance or the laws of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. I think this is a simple outline of this passage talking about the wrath of God being revealed. The truth is known by the fact that it is evident within them as well as to them. The truth is suppressed. They did not honor him as God did not give thanks to him. The truth is exchanged. God gave them over and they're worthy of death. The truth is known for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. The truth is known. God made us to know the truth. And the truth is something that is equivalent to our God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And truth is right in the middle of that. I am the way, I am the life, right in the center is the truth. He is the truth. When we looked at the gospel according to Genesis, remember that about a year ago? As we went through Genesis and called it the gospel according to Genesis, we understood that truth was at stake at the very beginning of creation. God created man and woman and put them in a garden with only one requirement that they, well, I mean, a couple, they had, he had a mandate, a plan for them, but there was one requirement, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Just one rule. And they couldn't keep it. Because they had some help by a God-hater. Satan, Lucifer, the serpent, hates God's creation. Hates man. Why? I think why? Because we have imposed on his position with God. 
God created us to worship Him, to worship God, and to know who He is and who we are in Him. And we've gone through that, haven't we? Understanding that truth. When we talk about sin and we talk about how that alienated us from God, we have to talk about the fact that there is a lie. And that lie was, did God really say you would die? Or that you could not eat of this and that you would die? Did God really say that? Casting doubt against the Almighty, the truth keeper, the covenant keeper, so that he became slandered. And we as human beings followed the slanderer. We followed the liar instead of God's word and his truth. And that is the state of humanity ever since. However, because we could not fulfill or come to the place of even being able to fellowship with God, he created another creation in one man, Jesus Christ. Created in the sense that he sent his son to be born of a woman. And that child was Jesus Christ who walked like you and I walk, yet without sin. He was not a rule breaker or a truth breaker. He followed it to the nth degree. And when he faced Satan in the wilderness at the age of 30, Satan thought he could get this creation as well and usurp the one whom Satan wanted to be above. And so he, he threw the same temptation out to Jesus in the wilderness after 40 days of fasting. And Jesus did not take the bait that the enemy had thrown out there. But in each instance, he used the word of God to put Satan in his place. And ironically, Satan thought, okay, if you can use the word of God, I can use it too. And Satan was to the point where he was so deceived that he thought he could use God's word to overcome Jesus. He can't. And people have tried to use this word for their own devices over the centuries. This stands as the truth. And Jesus overcame temptation for us. How? As God? No. As I've told you before, he didn't have the God card in his back pocket and say, I'm God. He didn't. He took our place. And in the same way that we can overcome Satan and his temptation, 
he was able to stand and did not fall for the lie. And Satan is a liar, and he's a liar today. But God is going to bring the truth about. When Adam and Eve understood that they had sinned, how did they know that? How did they know that they had sinned? Well, yeah, they had been given a commandment. But it was an easy thing for them just to hide the, the truth that they had stolen a cookie kind of thing. But they realized they were naked. They were shamed. And they tried to cover themselves and hide. They knew by what God had given man, the conscience that we have been given, they knew the truth. And they had broken it. I bet you anything, every one of you here, when you were two years old, about, or three, that when your mom came into the room and you had touched something precious of hers, you kind of hid from her. How does a two-year-old know to hide when they've done something wrong? It's what God gave to us called a conscience. And that's what Romans is saying here. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them. I believe that's talking about the conscience of man. But not only evidence within them, but also is evidence to them. Someone has asked, the question many, many times, or some people have, if the Bible is true, and the only way that you can become a Christian or know about God is through the Bible, or through a Christian telling you this, and you have never heard of Jesus Christ, should that person be condemned to hell? Is that fair? Is that just? You know, we as missionaries, we come to a land like Japan or in some other place in the world where they haven't accepted Christ, and we tell the good news. But what if somebody doesn't go? What if they don't hear? Are they still condemned because they don't know about Jesus Christ? I'm not going to answer that right now. But as we go in this message, I want you to come to your own conclusion. However, what the Bible says here in verses 19 and 20, it's evident within them. And it's evident to them through his word, through his servants, and through his creation so that they are without excuse. Second point is the truth is suppressed. And we read that in our other verse. We try to suppress the truth. It says the unrighteous, ungodly and unrighteousness of men suppress the truth. And our consciences do become 
suppressed. So that we do it enough times, our conscience wears out, so to speak. It is It becomes seared. Seared means kind of burnt over. The Bible refers to our, people's consciences being burnt or seared. You ever burnt your finger on a, a pan or stove? What does it do to your skin? It just kind of melts it. That's the same picture. The conscience being burnt over. The sensitivity is gone and you, you rub your finger a day or two after when the pain has gone away. It feels like your finger's not there if you burn it bad enough. There's no sensitivity. That's what it is. Suppress the truth. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. That's how you suppress the truth. By not acknowledging who God is. Did not honor him as God. And secondly, by not being thankful. An ungrateful heart is a very insidious thing. You know, I have the privilege as a grandfather and also as a great-grandfather to have experienced raising, well, I say raising, my kids raised their kids, but those happen to be my grandchildren. And now we have great-grandchildren. And you know what? I think I've shared this before. They're not perfect either. After what I did with my children and what my children did with their children and then what their children, you'd think they'd be perfect. The fourth generation. And as I told you, we could not get our oldest great-grandchild at his birthday party. He saw the cake that came in and he was not going to eat his supper or his dinner before having cake. And there was a dozen of us adults sitting around the table saying, open your mouth, here comes the choo-choo, here comes the choo-choo. The plane's going to fly into your mouth with the food. No way would he eat his food. His dad had to take him out, brought him back and said, you're going to eat, what was it, six bites or something like that, which I think is ridiculous. <laughs> you should clean up the whole plate. That's what I made his dad do. <laughs> I mean, his, his, great, his grandfather do. He refused. They let him by. He got his cake. They keep doing that. They're searing his conscience. That's my great-grandchild, you know. They did not honor him as God or give thanks. An ungrateful heart is the beginning, I believe, of leaving God and turning away. They became futile in their speculations. Their, their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals. 
You know what an idol is? An idol is really a projection of that person and the attributes of that person onto something that is an idol made of either wood, stone, metal, a person, a profession. What is an idol? It's a projection of what I desire to be, to be made powerful. What foolishness. And so we say, that is your God. That is the one you serve. That's the one you bow down to. Even ideas can be a God. Philosophies can be a God. Even our own thoughts about ourselves can be a God. Exchanging the glory of the incorruptible for the corruptible. The truth is exchanged. It says, Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. God gave them over. What does that mean? Does that mean that God then was the one who is responsible for their blindness, for their foolishness, for their idolatry? Is God responsible for that? No, basically what that means, I think, is what Psalm 81.11 says, but my people did not listen to my voice. And Israel did not obey me. So I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own devices. I'll use another parent-child example here. I think Kent was, and you remember Kent, our oldest? He was a perfect child. We did a perfect job. (laughs) Or Katie did, anyway. And Kent, if you're listening to this, you're not perfect. (laughs) I can remember we were just new parents. Well, we were two years old as parents, two-year parents, when he wanted to do things by himself. How many of you have experienced a two-year-old child in your lives? Okay, you can relate. You can relate. I can do it myself. I'm going to do it myself. (laughs) And he raises it up and pours it all over him. And then he cries. (laughs) Why did you let me do that? I had given him over to his own way. I didn't abandon him. 
I just said, okay, learn. You know what? He's a very smart kid. He never did that again. <laughs> we are like children. You know, the, the Bible calls the children of Israel. Many of them were over 80. My wife still thinks I'm a child at heart, but I think it's fun. So God had to separate himself and man from him. One of the things that I want to just point out, they exchanged the truth of God for the lie. The lie. I looked it up does definitely say the lie, not a lie, the lie. Can you hear the hiss of the serpent? Did God really say? That's where we are. It's the lie. And that's how I put it here. Exchange the truth of God for the lie. He is not God of my life. I can do it myself. And we learn, and they will learn, they can't save themselves. They need a Savior. They need the true God. And for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function of that which is unnatural. In the same way, also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in the desire toward one another, men with men, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. This passage is a difficult one for us these days. And it's only difficult because we have granted society the opportunity to throw this back into the face of God himself. Man did not make himself. God made us. He made us male and female. And how much you go about putting labels on and saying, well, we're not going to put a picture of a girl here on this door, or a picture of a boy on this door. That doesn't change anything. All it does is show how foolish, how foolish we have become. And not only being foolish, God is turning us, giving us over to our foolishness. And we are destroying not only ourselves, but in the process doing exactly what Satan had set out to do when he first tempted Eve. Did God really say? Eve should have said, wait a minute, let me just check with Adam. Going to Adam, didn't God say that? Uh, Yeah, he did. He said, you'll surely die. And Satan says, no, you're not going to die. They exchanged the truth for a lie. And that is what we're doing today in our societies. 
And this isn't just in Shibuya. It isn't just in Washington State where I come from. It is in our hearts as human beings worldwide. This is global. Who would have ever guessed that it would come to Japan? LGBT? Unthinkable. But it's here. And we deal with it. And that's what we're talking about. I have a cousin who actually was my favorite cousin. And basically he still is. We had a lot of good times together as young people. And even after we married and were adults. But he had decided put away his wife and live with his boyfriend. And we sat with him and his wife as he told us in front of her that this is what he was and understood what he, the choice he was making. He was a believer. And what he wanted was us to love him. And we expressed our love for him. But we pled with him, don't go this way. Don't go this way. So I know what I'm talking about in terms of what that did to his family, what it did to him, and not the least of what it did to his dear wife. Satan is a destroyer, and he's set to destroy us, mankind, men and women, children, because he hates us, because he hates God. He doesn't love you. He doesn't love that rock star. He does not love Dustin Bieber. His his life has been ruined. Yes, I know about Justin Bieber. <laughs> what do you think I am, an old fogey? <laughs> Promising all kinds of things. Jesus was promised the whole world. All the nations of the world will be yours if you'll bow down and worship me. And I believe that Satan could have done that. I turned that over to Jesus. Jesus was going for gold. He was going for the goal that his father had for him. That you and I would know salvation through Jesus Christ. And he would be our savior forever and ever and ever. Amen. Last of this verse, 27 says, Receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. What is the due penalty? Let's continue to read here. Just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper 
being filled with all these unrighteous things, 20 of them. Is there a one of us here who has not committed, or this does not describe you, this list? Is there any one of you? I don't follow three of this list. There's many on this list. This is the word of God, folks. This is what God is saying to us. But that's not the whole story. In fact, though they knew the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Okay, I have highlighted worthy of death. Are we worthy of death? Do you consider yourself worthy of death? Even if you've offended one of these 20 things, it's saying you're worthy of death. We just came through a season here in the church calendar of celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ from death. He is the only one who did not deserve to die, who died. And he died for me. And he died for you. And not only that, he died for every person that has ever breathed the air as well as those who were dead in the womb, I believe. Penalty of death. Worthy of death. He was not worthy of death. But God deemed that we, as fallen men, should put our trust in his Son. And he took the penalty for us and removed that worthy of death from us so that we were be what? Worthy of life, eternal life. That is the gospel. And we can say, well, we just need to love them. Yes, we do need to love those who are in this, caught in this syndrome or this uh, condition with the death sentence on them. We need to love them, yes. We need to love the LGBT people. We are mandated to. And in that, we can show the righteousness of God, I believe. And so they can get these bands of people can wave their billboards or whatever their signs and rally to say, down with the Christians who hate the LGBT. No, we don't. We don't. Yes, 
we won't participate with them or approve of their behavior. But we don't hate them. In fact, our hearts go out to them. That they come to know the Savior. That they turn away from those things that are actually slamming at God in the face. God wants to draw them to himself. He wants to use the church to do that. May we be that kind of people. That we're strong enough in our faith to know that God loves those people. God loves my cousin. In fact, I have two cousins that are in this. God loves them. They're dear people, but they're destroying themselves. Father, we thank you for your redemption. We thank you that it is greater than our sin. We thank you that your love and your acceptance is based not on a judgment against us. You're holding back and holding back as long as you can. That judgment of death, that penalty of death. I thank you for the fact that you did not come into the world to condemn the world, but the world through you, Jesus, might be saved. Thank you. Thank you for your love.